Good morning. It's about the volume level I would expect at 6.15. If you got your Bibles, you can turn with me to 2 Timothy. Move this other way. Oh, wait, there's a mic on this, isn't there? Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, then we're going to look at 2 2. Well, let me, let me kind of preface this with the, with the Great Commission. So obviously, uh, most of you guys are familiar with the Great Commission, right? Last thing Jesus says, one of the last things he says before he uh, ascends, the, the final words we see in Acts 1, but at the end of the Gospels, we see the Great Commission, um, which says, go to the world, make disciples of my name, teaching and baptizing them. Uh, now, uh, you may know this, you may not, but if you don't... Uh, You'll learn it, and if you do, then it'll be good kind of recap for you. Uh, the Great Commission, though it says, go into the world, make disciples, and the Greek actually means as you're going. Uh, and when I first learned this, it really changed my whole view of disciple making. I had in mind, I grew up in the church, I grew up um, in a very uh, Southern Baptist convention, very missional minded, so disciple making was always kind of on our lips, we always talked about it, and uh, evangelism was big. But the emphasis was always go. So I really thought to make disciples, I had to literally go. And for whatever reason, I guess because we did so much international missions, I wasn't really making disciples unless I went to India or something like that, right? Uh, So I kind of grew up with this sense of lingering guilt and shame that I wasn't fulfilling the Great Commission, that I wasn't actually going. Um, and then I get into uh, search of the ministry and get to Bible college and, and seminary and realize, well, the Great Commission's emphasis is not on going in any kind of uh, particular long-distance missional sense necessarily. What Jesus literally says there in the Greek is, as you go, it's a present participle, as you're going, um, make disciples, teach them, baptize in my name. So this really revolutionized my, I'd never heard this, uh, I didn't know the the phrase in the Greek, so it really revolutionized my understanding of disciple-making, that to make disciples, we have to realize that it's an ongoing process. As you go through life, as you're here, as you're out today, as you go home, as you go to Chipotle, as you go to the gym, wherever it is you go, um, you are about the business of making disciples. Now, what exactly does that look like? Another kind of misconception I had was this abstract notion of disciple-making in which you proclaim the word in some dramatic fashion or cold, we used to do something called cold call witnessing where essentially you just knock on doors and they'd come to the door in their PJs or something and you'd, hey, let me ask you a question. If you stand, if you stood before God right now and he said, why would I let you into heaven? What would you say? Um, which, you know, there's a time and place for that. It also makes for some, for some awkward conversation. But I really had in mind that uh, making disciples was this sort of abstract presentation of the text. And it's not at all, again, just not really thinking about the model of Jesus. It's not at all what Jesus did. Jesus modeled what he told his disciples to do. And that is, as he went through life, you see him having these random, fortuitous conversations in which he just talks about his father, talks about himself and his being the, um, the son of God, talking about uh, the forgiveness of sins, talking about healing and um, love and grace and ministry and whatever it might be, but these natural conversations would pop up. So making disciples uh, became for me much more concrete when I actually focused on 
uh, the model and words of Christ. Now, as you look through the New Testament and see how Paul and Peter and John, uh, these authors, built on the model of Jesus, you come to find traces of the Great Commission and traces of this sort of lifestyle disciple-making model all through their words. One of the most beautiful examples of this is Paul to Timothy. Um, so obviously he writes two letters to Timothy. Timothy's his protege in the faith, his protege in ministry. He uh, pours a ton of uh, love and wisdom and guidance into Timothy's ministry. And two verses that specifically pertain to discipleship that I'll talk about this morning are in 2 Timothy. One is verse 13 of chapter 1. So Paul says, 2 Timothy 1.13, What you have heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Your translation may even say, instead of keep, it may say hold. Um, but keep is the pattern of sound teaching. And then verse 14, guard the good deposit. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So keep, hold, guard. And then look at chapter 2, uh, verse 2. We'll just read 1 and 2. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses... And trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Now, I'm just going to sort of speak informally about what disciple making um, has come to mean to me from just years of reading the text, and particularly what Paul says here to uh, Timothy. There's got to be, there's all these essentials we kind of have to get out of the way. Uh, you have to have a firm grasp of the word. You have to have something to actually give. You can't give what you don't have. You have to be uh, tapped into the word of God on a regular basis. Now, if you grew up in church, how many people grew up in church? Sure. All right, you've heard this your whole life then, right? Heard the importance of quiet time and stuff like that. Well, it turns out it's true. <laughs> you do need to stay plugged into uh, the word of God, continually feeding on uh, what God has for you. You have to be dialed in in prayer, and that's to say just dependent and constant, continually relying on the Lord, communing with the Lord, crying out to God, um, bringing uh, to God all that you are uh, regularly. That you know, Paul says, pray without ceasing. Those things are fundamental, foundational, you've heard them your whole life. Uh, something that I never really heard, though, that kind of defined how I've come to understand disciple-making um, that goes in line with the Great Commission, flows out of the Great Commission, and then really is found here in Paul's um, words to Timothy, is this idea of entrusting something that's been entrusted to you. Um, Paul presents discipleship as this. You've been gifted this thing. Uh, it's a precious thing. It's infinitely precious. Uh, it's so precious that the language he uses is protective in nature, right? Guard it. Hold it. Keep it. Um, again, verse uh, 14, guard the good deposit. The idea is that God himself, Christ in the gospel, has placed a deposit in you. He talks about this again in Romans. And this deposit of salvation is almost a down payment for what we'll experience when we finally are with Christ. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. So not only is this thing precious and to be guarded, but it's sealed and guarded and protected by your own efforts and by the work of the Holy Spirit. So this precious, valuable thing has been given to you. The role of the disciple-maker is to essentially gift what's been gifted to you, to re-gift, to continually kind of sort of pass on what's been um, passed on to you. And he tells you exactly how to do this in 2.2. The things you've heard me say, the message of the gospel, 
Um, you can almost go through the entire Pauline corpus here. Look at all Paul's writings. Uh, the things that Timothy's heard Paul say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Um, I, I work uh, right now for Downline Ministries. Downline Ministries is a discipleship institute. It's a nine-month institute in which you just basically uh, learn a pretty thorough understanding of the, of the scriptures and you learn about biblical disciple-making. And there's no secret to it. Um, the secret is pretty obvious. Uh, biblical disciple-making is about multiplication. And this is sort of the, exactly what we see happen with Jesus' own ministry. He takes reliable, um, a finite number of reliable core people, 12, and even inside the 12, you've got the three, Peter, James, and John. And he just pours into them his time, his presence, um, his teaching. And the idea of being a disciple in the first century world was to literally follow in the, in the dust of the rabbi. Uh, you were to align yourself with a teacher, with a rabbi, and you stuck to him. This is why when they said, hey, I'll follow you, Jesus, it was an extreme commitment. They're going to leave everything. And they would just sort of follow Jesus around, learning and observing and watching and imitating everything he did. But he does it with, he does it with the three, and he does it with the twelve. Um, he gives his time to others. We know there's 70 people who followed him pretty closely, then there's the masses. But discipleship really only takes place amongst these twelve and these three. Now, you're almost overburdened, and this is, is exactly what I thought disciple-making was. You're almost overburdened by the need, right? I mean, Jesus himself says, look, the harvest is plenty, the labors are few. Um, you guys right now are doing ministry work, and the need far surpasses your ability to meet it, yeah? Um, there's a reason why Jesus gives us this model. One is the need will never, I mean, even Jesus saying the poor you'll always have with you. There was always going to be a need that surpasses our ability, and we're not meant to, in our finite creaturehood, we're not meant to be the Messiah to the world. What we are meant to do is make the Messiah known to a few others who can then go on to make him, uh, make him known to even more. And you have this process of multiplication. Um, this sort of blew up my view of disciple-making. I thought disciple-making was essentially you know, some sort of mass media-type ministry in which the most people I could get a hold of, the most people I could influence would hear about the gospel and then, um, you know, lives would be changed and everything would be great. That's not disciple-making, though. That's more evangelism. There's a place for that. There's a ton in the text about evangelism. Disciple-making, though, is a different thing. Obviously, it begins with evangelism. Um, but the model Jesus gives us, though he did speak to masses at times, the model he gives us is personal. It always moves out concentrically. Now, so here's a challenge here. What time do I have? 6.30. Let me wrap it up. All right. um, there's a challenge here. If you are in some place where you can preach the gospel, make him known widely, absolutely you need to take advantage of that. Proclaim Jesus. Tell the story of what he's done in your life. Um, for most of us, that's not a daily reality. You're not just going to sort of find yourself stepping up to microphones and platforms and gymnasiums and things like that, right? But you are going to find yourself around people who uh, are trustworthy, reliable, as Paul says, who are ready. It's amazing how God provides these people who are ready to uh, essentially be Timothy. It's those people that become the object of discipleship. I tell people all the time when we're going through 
kind of what it means to make disciples. Discipleship really begins with prayerful discernment, um, asking God to identify those around you who have been called people of peace. People of peace is an old Christian phrase. It's basically uh, people who are ready to receive the gospel um, in a way they've not received it before and to deploy it, to pass it on in a way that others are just not currently willing to do. They're sort of right there in their ability and their desire to um, serve the Lord. There are always people like this around you. I promise you, I've never known anyone to pray for people of peace, pray for people they can pour into and begin to disciple and not have them provided for them. There will be people around. Um, Once you've begun to sort of think about disciple making as this kind of concentric thing, starts small and multiplies out, uh, you begin to pray for these kind of people. And then you find, if I were to say right now, let's do a little exercise, if I were to say take two minutes and write down three names of people who you know are ready to grow in the Lord. They, they are hungry for uh, intimacy with God. They want to know more about Scripture. They want to grow in the spiritual life. And they want to be effective for God. Um, I can't imagine that you couldn't think of at least one or two names. Well, that's essentially where discipleship starts, biblically speaking. Where you begin to focus in, hone in on these people who are ready to uh, essentially be what Timothy was to Paul. And then you just pour in. I disciple guys all the time. Um, it looks very differently. Tomorrow we'll kind of talk about the, the pattern of the life of a disciple maker. It looks very differently for different people, but one thing is constant. Um, I'm sort of a spigot. I'm a hose, and I'm constantly turned on with these guys. I'm constantly pouring in. I'm never turned off. Um, I'm never sort of shut down to the need. I have guys text me at midnight asking me the most. I had a, I had a guy the other night. He was kind of going through his prayer journal. He was writing poetry. It was terrible poetry. Um, but he was writing. He was writing poetry, and he sent it to me. He's like, "What do you think about this?" I was like, "Man, this is great." Um, but it was sort of me uh, being there for him and uh, trying to be uh, what Christ was to his disciples, and that is ever present, always with them, and always, um, always there to comfort and teach. So. Uh, there's this sense in which you find these people that are close. You find these people who are ready, and you just begin to pour in. Now, going back to what I was saying earlier, you can't pour in um, if you've not been poured into. You can't give what you don't have. So to really talk about disciple-making, we kind of have to talk about where you're at with the Lord and what your walk looks like. Uh, I don't know what your patterns are. I don't know what your spiritual rhythms are. I don't know where you're at right now. But the beautiful thing about the Christian life is adjustment, repentance, um, realignment are always available to us um, because of the grace and goodness of God and just the way he encounters us and intersects uh, us in life moment by moment by moment. We're always able to sort of say, you know what, I see that, I'm going to realign. I see that, I'm going to start doing this, these things differently. Uh, if you're not actively, and this will be my biggest challenge this morning, if you're not actively prayerfully considering those whom you might pour into, um, you need to start. Here's the deal with the Great Commission. It's the most basic thing that I talk about when it comes to disciple making, but it's in some ways the most often forgotten. It is not an option. Jesus did not say to his disciples and to the rest of the church um, throughout time, uh, hey, if you feel like it, tell people about me, spread the good news, um, If you get around to it, maybe make a disciple or two. The Great Commission is completely uh, imperative and at the core of what it means to be a believer. 
So you have to prayerfully begin to think about who it is you might pour into and then begin actively to do it. I don't care how you have to do it. I don't care if it's you just text your, your, the guy you're thinking about and say, hey man, um, I've got a book I want to start going through. How about we meet for coffee once a week? Or I work out at the gym four days a week at four o'clock. How about meeting me and working out with me three of those days? Whatever it is, you have to put yourself in the place of uh, these people who are ready to grow in the Lord and ready to be disciple makers. And in doing so, you are creating a rhythm, creating a schedule, a tangible, practical, actual way to do exactly what Paul uh, tells Timothy. You're creating the means by which these people, whoever it is in your life, can guard the deposit of salvation. And in guarding it, re-gift it. And holding on to it, pass it on. That you begin to surround yourself with reliable people who you can entrust with um, the gospel. That is the very heart of discipleship. Tomorrow we'll talk about some practical how-tos and kind of characteristics of a disciple-maker. But let me just sort of instill in you this seed. Now, many of you may know this, but many of you probably aren't doing it. It's amazing the amount of believers who say, yeah, I get the Great Commission. But if I were to say, well, what's your life look like right now? Who do you have around you? Um, you, know, you might not be able to tell me. Um, let me say this, too. A couple of obstacles that people put in their own way, really. You might not feel prepared. Most people feel very insecure about this. Like, what do I say? I do not feel like I'm mature enough. I do not feel like I'm ready. Um, I myself don't know the scriptures very well. My relationship with God is eh. Uh, all kinds of objections. Luckily, nowhere in the scriptures, especially when you're talking about the motley crew that was the 12 disciples, nowhere in the scriptures is there any requirement that you reach X amount of godliness before you begin to make disciples. God takes the messiest of us and turns that mess into ministry. Uh, there's no degree you have to get. There's no sort of bar or mark of um, godly knowledge or scriptural knowledge that you have to reach before you begin to make disciples. You're just told to do it. Uh, essentially, all you need to begin this process is the deposit of faith that is your salvation. That alone, that testimony alone becomes something with which you can work. Right? Something you can pass on. Um, the other side of this is this. You're not only obviously called to make disciples, you're called to be discipled. Uh, I am no good to people if I'm not being poured into myself. I'm leaving here and going to uh, a book club that's got a couple of guys. Uh, one guy is kind of a peer of mine, and that's important too, to have someone sort of walking alongside you. But the guy, uh, there's another guy in the group who's older than us, far more mature in the faith than us, um, much wiser just has a lot more life experience under his belt, and I, I just pick his brain. I just learn from him all the time. Uh, I am no good to you if I don't have kind of a pall over me. Uh, this is sort of the, the whole principle of multiplication. Uh, Timothy has Paul over him, and Timothy has people under him. You are always to position yourself with someone over you and someone under you. That's just the model. Um, what Paul talks about here, Timothy... He didn't just pull out of a hat. He himself is being discipled and learning from the example of uh, Christ. So when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Hey, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's the kind of perpetual cycle. Imitation, 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 imitation. So some of you guys might be at the, you know, on the verge of um, uh, 
becoming true disciple makers, really thinking about prayerfully considering those people you can have around you that you can be important to. You've got to do this. This is the heart of the Christian faith. But don't forget, don't forsake the need to be discipled yourself. If you don't have someone who's pouring into you, if you don't have kind of a Paul, um, if you don't have someone who's uh, entrusting uh, to you this gift of faith through discipleship, my gosh, you've got to get, you've got to be prayerfully uh, active in seeking that out, and you've got to get on it. I mean, you've got to um, be a part of this, this spiritual flow that is disciple-making. Uh, I love talking about this stuff. It's a huge passion of mine. My life has been most transformed by relationships through disciple-making. Um, it's not just some sort of Christianese way of saying, uh, you know, it's just not Christianese. It's just, it's just really the heart of kind of the relational fabric that we see in the scriptures. So if you want to chat about it more, if you want some more practical tips, um, tomorrow I'll talk about kind of the characteristics of a disciple-maker and some practical ways to go about it, but um, love to talk to you about it more if you want to. And let me pray for us. We'll go. Father, we ask that you would um, ask that you would begin to put a burden on our hearts, Lord, if it's not already there, uh, to be about the business of disciple-making. Father, be faithful. Lord, you've entrusted uh, to us this gift Lord, that we are to hold on to, that's protected and sealed by the Holy Spirit. And it's not a gift to be um, greedily kept to ourselves. It's a gift to be passed on, Father. Lord, you tell us in the Great Commission, as we are going, uh, to make learners followers of you. So, Lord, help us to do that. Help us to be bold, obedient, prayerful. Um, Cause us to be uh, vigilant, Lord, to look out and to see who it is around us. Uh, that might walk with us in the faith. And Father, if we don't have anyone over us, God, I pray that you um, burden us to pray for someone who can help guide us, who could be kind of a Paul to us, Lord, um, so that we might understand the fullness of this beautiful thing we call salvation. Father, in all things, we pray you increase, we decrease. In your name, amen.